in the pursuit of happiness. Hi, I'm Mike, and welcome to my podcast about my pursuit of happiness. Uh, this week uh, is actually inspired by a message I got from somebody that listens, surprisingly. Um, <laughs> last week, I guess I touched on this topic of uh, creativity and how I've been feeling a little bit more creative and getting my creativity back and everything else. So I do want to talk more about uh, being creative or creativity uh, here and uh, to th- this week, that's that's kind of what the, the main topic is going to be. But I do want to do a recap of the week. It seems to be a thing now. <laughs> recap of the week. I'm going to tell you what. Um, I did not uh, <laughs> successfully uh, do my meditation practice this week. Monday I did. Wednesday, Friday, I did not. I really did not have uh, great days as far as uh, mornings. Let's say not days, but I did not have great mornings on uh uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, it was a big struggle to get out of bed. Thursday, I almost let the enemy mind uh, beat me and almost did not get out of bed and do my walk. And Thursday's a run day, so it didn't do my run at all. Uh, walk, run, it's a combo. Walk, jog, it's not really a run. <laughs> but uh, but I forced myself to do it. I got out there, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes uh, later than I usually would have. Uh, but I still got out there and, and uh, did my... Uh, my morning walk slash run on a Thursday. And then Friday, too. I really battled yesterday because today's Saturday morning. I battled yesterday uh, with um, with not getting out of bed. I was like, it's all right. I can just sleep in. I did it all week. And then I was like, no, just get out there and do the walk. Just walk. It's just a walk day. It's fine. And I did it. I got up. I got out of bed. And I went out there and I did it. And it actually was a good thing because it prepared me for Friday. I had a great meeting. So... Let's rewind. <laughs> this week, a couple of major things have happened. Uh, first of all, let's talk about my incredible daughter. Uh, on Wednesday, got her driving permit. She's 16. We went and she took the written test and got her driving permit. And I'm so proud of her. Absolutely so proud that she passed it. She passed it, you know, not just like just squeak bypass. She passed it really, really solidly. Uh, and she has her permit and... Uh, now we just have uh, the fun of learning to drive. So, but because she has a permit now, uh, I am getting her uh, actual instructions, driving instructions. Part of her birthday present when she turned sixteen was uh, to get instruction, and it's my fault that she hasn't had it already because I was stupid and didn't realize that she needed her actual permit before she could do that. I don't know why I didn't put two and two together. I was like, oh, maybe they'll just get it. You know, like I took, I went and took uh, the MSF class for motorcycle, motorcycle safety class to to. Um, get my motorcycle license. So you spent the weekend and you did a bunch of, you know, you learned to ride and you did a bunch of drills and then you basically took the test there and you went and you handed DMV or or DDS your uh, certificate and they said, oh, here's your license type of thing. So I don't know why in my head, I assume that that's the way that the driving school would go too. So I was all ready for it and everything. And uh, then I uh, read the fine print about not having a permit and I was like, fat. So uh, because of... uh, the world we live in in COVID, it's not like we could have just easily walked right into uh, DDS and, and got it. We had to, and wait in line. We had to make an appointment. The first available appointment was Wednesday. We went there, uh, the time that we had and everything. We still waited a little bit. It wasn't bad. Very, very uh, well done by uh, Georgia's DDS, though. Uh, extremely 
felt extremely safe, a ton of social distancing. Um, not a lot of people in the building whatsoever. The waiting area was, was very well spaced out. So congrats to you guys for really doing well, uh, as far as that goes. But, um, but we sat there, she, she went, she took the test. I was so worried, so nervous about it. Uh, and uh, she came out and I'm like, what'd you get? And she's like, oh, I got this on this half and this on this half. So I'm like, so it's passed, right? And she's like, yeah, it's totally passed. I was like, wow. So uh, so we got it and we have a little paper copy right now. And then within a couple of weeks or whatever, we'll get her actual plastic permits in uh, in the uh, the mail. I, I got to get her wallet or something, I guess, to start carrying around with that little permit in there. <laughs> so, but very, very exciting. So uh, I just want to talk about that because I'm very proud of her. Uh, driving's a big thing. Like cars are a big thing. If you guys don't know me, um, you guys, I know some of you do. Some of you, some of you that listen to me know me. Some of you don't. But like driving's a big thing. Cars are, are a big thing for me. I'm, I'm a huge car guy. Um, I'm actually, I have a, a 1976 Volkswagen Beetle that I'm hoping today if the rain holds off, I can get it started. It just hasn't been started in a while, so charge the battery get it started up i gotta put an air in one of the tires and then i'm gonna teach sammy how to drive a manual transmission on a volkswagen beetle so because unfortunately right now the only vehicles i have are manual transmissions i have a wrx subaru uh and i have my volkswagen beetle and then four motorcycles which are obviously all manual transmissions and motorcycles totally different thing so um so uh so i was like all right well let's let's go have some fun with the beetle because, uh, first of all, it's not enough power. Like, I worry, like, her and the Subaru trying to learn how to do a manual transmission in the Subaru. Uh, there's a lot, a decent amount of power in that engine, and uh, we can get in trouble real quick. The Volkswagen, not so much. <laughs> Plus, um, the Volkswagen is a much more responsive system because it's an old-school drive-by cable type of situation. There's literally a wire attached to the gas pedal to the back because the engine's in the back uh, to the carburetors in the back that actually opens and closes the carburetor. So there's a much more manual feedback on your pedal and stuff. And uh, some of you may not know this, but um, but uh, my daughter has cerebral palsy and has right side weakness. So she doesn't have uh, super sensitive feeling or fine motor skills. So I'm thinking with the actual resistance in the gas pedal, because it's a, again, a, a more manual connection instead of a, an electronic you know, potentiometer that tells a, a fuel injection how much to fuel to put in. There's actually resistance. There's a manual, you know, an actual feel to your pedal. I'm thinking it might be a good situation for it. Plus, the the four speed gearbox in the Volkswagen is just super sloppy, and you can just slap it around. It's not super precise. So, <laughs> uh, and like I said, there's not a ton of power, so we're not gonna get in trouble real quick <laughs> in the Beetle. And if something does break, if something happens on it, clutch goes out or whatever, we just destroy the engine. I can fix it really, really fast and easy for very little money compared to the Subaru. So, so it should be a fun experience. She, it's funny because I was talking to her. I said she's concerned because again, the right side, she has right side weakness, uh, and she has driven uh, an automatic transmission car. And she had a problem getting the shifter to move because she had to press the button and pull the shifter to where it was supposed to go because it, it had like a lockout button on it. And I said, well, the, the Volkswagen, I said, there's no button or anything. You literally just can put your hand just flat on top of it and just push it up and down as needed or whatever. I was like, it's really, you just slap that thing around. And I'm like, I've let you shift because one of my favorite things, because the Volkswagen used to be my daily driver. Like I took my girls to school and picked them up from school every single day for 
a solid two years in uh, in the Volkswagen Beetle. And I got hit on the way to uh, to uh, one of their schools one morning, and uh, it didn't didn't run right after that. So I stopped using it as a daily driver. But uh, um, <laughs> where was I going with this? But I used to let her shift. She's in the passenger seat, and and I would you know just work the pedals, and I would tell her shift. You know, one, two, three, four. So she knows how to shift. And I was like, but you've shifted before. And I was like, you did that with your left hand because you were in the passenger seat. So. Basically, I got to find her a, a, a British car, right? <laughs> I got to find her a right-hand drive car that has the shifter on the left-hand side, and boom, she's golden. <laughs> so, uh, but I think uh, I think she should be able to do this because, like I said, the the Volkswagen. First of all, this gearbox is very, very loose and forgiving, so you don't have to be super precise. Uh, and it's easy, I think, just to push and pull very, very, very simple. So it should be a fun adventure. I'm very, very excited about it. Um, I don't know if she is, but I'm very, very excited about it. <laughs> it makes me very happy uh, to see that. So uh, so that's one thing. The other th- big thing that happened is, is more on a personal level for me. Uh, back before the COVID world, um, hell, I think it was even before March, might have even been February. I started interviewing for a new, uh, a different position at a new company, a different company. It's still kind of along the same lines. It's a sales training position, which is what I do professionally, uh, but it was at a different company. And I was really excited about it. It was probably one of the longest interview processes at the time that I've ever been through. So I met with uh, the head of the department. Then I met with the whole team, the whole training rest of the team, and kind of get interviewed. was interviewed by everybody. Uh, I had to do a presentation for them. I, I had to meet some, you know, the HR folks. And then I had to, to meet the... Uh, um, the leaders of, of the branch location that I was going to be in and working with them and everything. So it was a very long interview process. And I actually really enjoyed it because I've been with my current company for 15 years. And this is a massive decision to kind of move companies. Now, I am super unhappy where I am. And we'll talk about that here because it tiptoes into the world of creativity here, um, which is the main part of this episode. But uh, but it's a big decision, you know, I starting from zero when I have, you know, 15, 16 years now, actually this month, I think it's 16 years with the leadership of the company or, or, or tenure with the company, you know, so it's 16 years. So it's a big decision. So I felt very, very comfortable. I loved everybody involved. I loved their, their energy. I loved everything so far. And then COVID hit and uh, everything kind of got put on hold in March because, uh, where I was interviewing, it was going to be the sales trainer was, it was for one of their larger, uh, mortgage call center type of situations. And, um, everybody started working from home and, uh, the hiring kind of got frozen, you know, and they kind of started reevaluating, uh, the need of new positions and so forth and so on and going from there. And I've been on hold ever since. And, uh, I want to talk about the power of follow up here, guys. Uh, this, this drove drove me nuts. My son, uh, (laughs) who's 25 now, um, when he would apply for a job, I'd always ask him, did you follow up? You know, did you call and say, Hey, I put an application in, just wanted to, to follow up and see how everything was. And he never did. It drove me nuts. Uh, he always said, well, if they want me, they'll call me back. And I was like, that's such a piss poor attitude. 
uh, I have been following up since COVID started. So since March, at least once a month, I send a, a text message or an email over to the the head of the learning and development group over at this other company. Just touching base. Can't believe a, you know, a month has gone by already. This is what we're doing. How are you guys doing? You know, how's business, so forth and so on. And just kept each other, you know, kind of in contact with each other. And last week I got a message that uh, that she wanted to have a, uh, a a web call with me, a Zoom call with me, uh, and there and somebody else, one of the other folks there, uh, and uh, I was like, okay, cool, that sounds good. So we did, we did. I had this call on. Um, this was Monday. I think it was Monday. <laughs> was it Monday? Yeah, I think it was Monday. Uh, and it's good news. It's good news. Uh, there's there's possibility of of. Uh, um, a new opportunity with them. It's in a different position. So, um, so, uh, you know, it was a great call, very, very optimistic, very happy about it and everything else. Uh, I digested the information cause it would be a little bit different than what I originally, um, uh, was going to there for and so forth and so on. So digest that information, reach back out to who would be my direct report and said, Hey, can we have another meeting just so, you know, now that I've digested this, I have some questions. And she was like, absolutely. Uh, and we did that. We did that, uh, yesterday morning. So yesterday, uh, when I was laying in bed, struggling to get the hell out of bed to go do my walk, I'm glad I did because it cleared my head. It got the blood moving around. It got me ready and prepared for this conversation that I had with my potential new, uh, new direct report and new leader. And uh, I had a great conversation. We, we, you know, it was wonderful. It was, it was very, very inspiring. It was. We talked about creativity. We talked about, you know, the spark and and being very happy. We, I brought up. I don't know if she she wrote the name down or not, but I did talk. I said, hey, I got this podcast thing too because she asked about me personally. So I brought it up, of course. <laughs> Uh, not too, not too, uh, too much detail or whatever, but I don't know, maybe, <laughs> maybe she heard the name. I said it very quickly. So, <laughs> but, uh, but it was very good. And, and I think a lot of that, that uh, the joy that I got out of that conversation was because I was able to get up and get moving in the morning on, on that Friday, uh, before that conversation. And the rest of the day was really, really good too. There was definitely, um, some things I, I had to do on Friday that were holdovers. We had some system issues on Thursday, so I had to bump things to Friday. So it was a very, very busy day for me uh, for the remainder of that day. It was literally until uh, 4.30, just nonstop, basically. But um, but I got through it, and I got through it with a smile on my face for the most part. And uh, it was good. It was very, very good. So uh, so now I need to uh, – next week I actually have some interviews with uh, the – the, the directors of the department that I'm going to be working with now that I'm going to be supporting now. So these are different sets of folks. So I'm looking forward to that. Again, a little nervous about that, but a little happy about it as well. So moving forward. So there's opportunities here is what I'm saying. And I got to say that uh, speaking from a creativity standpoint, um, my job has been for the past four or five years have been has been one of the bigger contributing factors, I believe, to uh, my overall depression, overall feeling. And uh, it has tied into my lack of creativity and it is tied into the destruction of my own creative self, uh, which is very, very upsetting. I think depression in general is a huge, huge uh, contributing factor to the destruction of 
uh, creativity for me, at least. Uh, obviously, your mileage may vary. You know, there may be artists out there that thrive off of their depression. That's where they they create from. Um, you know, and, and and everything else. For me, though, it's the complete opposite. For me, it it, it is a complete destruction of any creative sense whatsoever. Now, I don't consider myself an artist or whatever, but as far as the spectrum goes, I do consider myself more of a creative than an analytical person. Um, I'm the person that, uh, (laughs) it's a great example, (laughs) difference between my father and myself. Uh, One of my houses that I owned back in New Jersey was a beautiful old Victorian house that had this incredible uh, 1950s Frigidaire stove uh, in it. And uh, it was working. It was beautiful. It worked perfectly fine. And it became the inspiration of the entire kitchen. We did the whole kitchen as like a 50s style diner. And being a car guy, uh, Frigidaire at the time was owned by uh, General Motors, basically. <laughs> it was GE and GE was General, General Motors. So there was a connection there. The clock <laughs> that was in the stove, the, the hood of the stove or the top of the stove, uh, was the same clock that was in the dashboard of a Cadillac. So, you know, it just, it was beautiful. It had this sexy retro style to it. It was not modern retro. It was true, true vintage, and it worked beautifully. And it was the inspiration of this 50s-style kitchen. So I got the the Famica table with the big, wide uh, chrome band around it, chrome seats and so forth, and so on. just did the whole kitchen up that way. Um, but one of the things that the kitchen did not have, cause it was an old Victorian home, um, was it did not have a dishwasher in it. So I took the cabinet or the, uh, so there was a sink with a small, um, uh, what do you call it? Countertop. So I took that out. I put a new countertop in, we cut a new hole from a, for a sink and shifted it over and had enough room to put a dishwasher in. Now, because we were putting a new dishwasher in, we had to re- plumb the drains, right? So I had a center drain and the, the sink was on the left and the dishwasher was on the right. And I had to bring those two drains in into a Y situation and everything else. My father, who's a much more analytical person than I am, wanted to sit down and draw it out. And, uh, and I just wanted to sit down and just kind of just start fitting things together and see where it went. <laughs> And, uh, uh, you know, so he started drawing it out and I said that I started just fiddling around and at the end of it all, he came over, I had it kind of all done and he showed me his drawing and his drawing basically was the same exact routing that I had figured out on my own. So, but he's a much more analytical person where I feel I'm a much more creative person when it comes to that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm not, uh, again, when you, when you talk about, I'm not an artist whatsoever. I really, really, really wish I could be. Um, and you know, I know there's a lot of skills that can be learned and, and I just haven't taken the time to learn a lot of skills or whatever, but I always think like, um, and this is, this is something that I actually have talked about with people where you go in and you see a piece of art and maybe it's a very simple piece of art, right? And it's, you know, it's, it's two colors. It's a light color and a dark color and a line in the middle of it. And somebody says, well, hell I could do that. And I'm like, yeah, you could, but would you have thought to do that? Would you have been inspired to do that in the first place? And that that's where the true creativity of art comes from, right? It's not just saying, well, shit, I could do that, you know, after somebody else has already done it. <laughs> it is, 
it is truly inspiration. You know, it's, it's, it's thinking of doing it the initial time, the first time and being the first one to have that novel idea to do it. And, uh, and I'm really bad at that <laughs> when it comes to creating art itself, as far as like physical or, or visual art and stuff like that. And I wish I was so much better at that. What I really do enjoy, though, is brainstorming and thinking of ideas and thinking of ridiculous things and novel ideas. And um, a friend of mine and I used to uh, sit around and, and we created these ridiculous TV pilots, basically, <laughs> these, these pitches for ridiculous TV shows. And it was some of the most fun things. And we joked about uh, having a podcast about <laughs> about pitching ridiculous TV shows and stuff like that. Uh, and it was lovely. It was great. It was so much fun and stuff like that. I, I find myself very creative about, like I said, just, I, I, and I'm not going to sit there and plan things out necessarily. I'm just going to start, start doing things. And it's more important, I think for me to do that because the starting is always the, the hardest part. Once I start, I'm in, you know, and, and it's, if I sit down and I start planning stuff, I, I might lose interest <laughs> and it never actually gets started. <laughs> so it's the actual going out and doing it and starting. Uh, that's the big thing. So for me, like I said, um, my depression really comes in the form of, of the void of creativity, sucking away every bit of creativity anywhere, whether it's cooking in the kitchen, whether it's, it's uh, thinking about, you know, silly nonsensical TV shows that would be amazing to watch uh, and pitch to Netflix or something like that. Uh, whether it is creating a, you know, a creative solution for uh, any problem that I have, right? Um, it creates stagnation, all right? My depression is all about being stagnant. And that is one of my biggest detractors from creativity is, is stagnation. Everything around you is moving. There is movement in everything. The air, the world, the ground, the universe, the stars, the planet. Nothing is staying still. The universe is expanding on an exponential rate. There is movement everywhere around you. And that's how the world and the, the universe functions is through movement. When you personally become stagnant, when you lack movement, whether it's physical movement, mental movement, you know, movement can be a very large concept. It's not just about physical activity. Okay, we will talk a little bit about there's a great Stanford uh, study that shows <laughs> how physical movement can actually help creativity, which we will talk about. And I can probably attest to that because of uh, my, my morning routines and my morning walks. Uh, I believe this study now. And I saw this study just recently. It was not something that was like, oh, I'm going to start walking because of creativity purposes. It was just as I was looking at creativity, I was actually listened to an incredible um, TED Hour uh, podcast about sparking creativity recently. Uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful talk about multiple people and talking about sparking creativity in different ways and, and uh from scientific perspective, as well as uh, just through visual uh, medias and stuff like that, and inspiring people to be creative. Um, it was an absolutely incredible TED Talk. So it was part of the uh, NPR uh, TED Talk Hour that they do. So you can look that up uh, if you want. But it was really, really good. It was about uh, creating or, or uh, 
supporting creativity, right? So uh, movement is such an important factor of it. And like I said, it doesn't have to be physical movement. It can be mental movement. Is is there something that's inspiring you? Are you mentally um, uh, creating movement in your own mind as far as growth goes, as far as, uh, uh, you know, inspiration to learn something, to grow or anything along those lines? Or are you stagnant? And my work, unfortunately, has created an environment of being static and I've lost you know a love for what I've what I'm doing at this company because of that they have sucked the joy out of the creative process which is what I loved about so much what I loved about what I do for a living and it's become a mundane regurgitation of the same stuff over and over. Now, I understand that repetitiveness is part of my job. That's perfectly fine. But not having true outlets and and being supported and, and encouraged to have creative thought and move forward, or when I do, to have it tossed aside and not recognized or not even acknowledged. Not necessarily, I don't need recognition for it, but when I create something and I say, hey, what do you think about this? Do you think this is something that we could develop further? And it just falls on deaf ears and I get no response whatsoever, even though I've, I follow up with it and everything else. And you stop trying after a while because why? <laughs> why am I going to do that? And again, putting in my mental health uh, state when it comes to driving my depression and driving me into that that self pit of pity that I put myself in um, because of my depression, you, you give up after a while. You just stop. And that kind of leeches and bleeds that stagnant water of nothingness, right? That's how, how is water poisonous besides having ancient plumbing uh, in a, a massive city in this, the U.S. that hasn't been taken care of and people still don't have clean drinking water in modern time, which blows my goddamn mind. But besides that, in nature, how does water become poisonous? Well, the number one way is stagnation, right? <laughs> Standing water gets funky and smelly and things grow in it. You know, water that's moving, there's movement, there's filtration, there's there's that movement, there's cleaning, there's life, right? Where stagnation, you get death, typically. (laughs) So you take those cues from nature and you need to apply them to yourself. Are you stagnant, right? Do you have this this, this, this stagnant pool of water that's leaching in to the rest of your life and causing uh, infestations of stagnicity? Is that even a real word? I don't know. I'm making that word up though. Stagnicity in other aspects of your life and your world, and it becomes this this cancer that just continues to bloom and takes over everything until you're just a shell. You're just going through the motions. You are not thinking for yourself necessarily in a creative way. You just are there. You're going through the motions. It is what it is. And I've been there, and it is what it is, okay? I always say I'm a very high-functioning, depressive, depressive person, uh, a lot of people that, that know me on a casual basis will probably not know I was depressed or had any depression issues um, because I, I'm very good at putting that mask on and going out there. 
but it's just it was just going through the motions you know there was no true being there whatsoever there was no in the moment whatsoever there was no again creative spark or creativity it was going through the motions that I knew would get me through that situation so creativity is something that I feel is is a lifeblood for all of us. Even if you're an analytical person, right? <laughs> even if you are not, if even if you don't consider yourself a creative, if you consider yourself an analog person, I think movement in general with, with creativity is important. And like I said, it doesn't have to be physical movement; it could be mental movement. So even if you are an anal, you know, an, an analytical type person, you're looking at facts and numbers and everything else creatively looking at those and problem solving, you know, math is very straightforward in a lot of ways until you get into uh, problem solving situations, right? Yes, there is uh, rules and, and, and uh, laws of math that need to be followed, but there's creative solutions to how did you get there? That sort of thing. And, you know, as much as I'm not a huge fan of, um, of some of the new, new math <laughs> that the kids have been taught or whatever, I see the value of it where because it shows that, hey, there's multiple ways to do this. There's multiple ways to look at this. There's multiple angles to get to the same solution. And I appreciate that. I think it's not well executed in standardized learning um, because if a, a, if, a, uh, if a method does not click with you, you're still forced to learn it and still forced to use it and, and test it on it. And that's, that's where I have the problem, right? The point of this is to show diversity and creativity with finding solution. And then what you do is take that idea of creativity and, and, and diversity with solution finding and say, oh, by the way, on this, you can't do any of that. <laughs> on, that on this right here that we're going to grade you on, you need to use this specific method. So you take that diversity and that, that logic of multiple problem-solving opportunities <laughs> and you pigeonhole it <laughs> down to nothing. So I think it's brilliant. I think it's beautiful because I was taught one way, right? This is the way we do the math and, you know, or the way that we do this or the way that we do that. It was a very one path situation. And now I look back at it and I say, yeah, it makes sense to me because that's what was browbeaten into me. And I don't understand some of these newer concepts, but I'm not in the classroom learning these newer concepts. And I can see how some people would say, yes, this makes sense, but that doesn't make sense. And I'm going to use this instead of that. And that's perfectly fine because at the end of the day, the answer is still correct. It's about finding that creative solution that works for you to get to that answer. But like I said, we get into a situation where we have testing and standardized learning and that kind of stuff where we take this brilliant concept, in my opinion, of diversity and promoting creativity to find the solution to problems. And we pigeonhole people down and say, all right, now that we showed you this, you have to do it this way. But 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 I like that way better. That way made more sense. We don't care. You have to do it this way. <laughs> all right. Well, but my number is going to be the same at the end. It doesn't matter. You did not do it this way. So therefore, you don't pass. So it's very upsetting to see that. It's a brilliant idea, I think. I think it's wonderful because it's inclusive. You know, showing people creativity is a wonderful thing. Showing people that there's multiple routes to the same solution 
is amazing. When I train people, I try to do that all the time. If I see somebody and I, I'm sitting there talking to them about a specific topic and they get that look on their face like they're just lost, I reevaluate and I come back in a different, same, same solution, right? But it's a different explanation of it. It's a different route. All right, this one didn't make sense. So let's 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 take a second, let's take a breath, and let's reevaluate. Does this make more sense? Okay, we got to the same place at the end of the day, but it's just how people's brains work. You know, the brain is still a massive mystery to uh, to science. It's just a, a lump of fat with <laughs> with connectivity and electricity and everything else, and it does amazing things. All right, you could argue that the entire human experience is just electric pulses in that brain whatsoever the rest is just we're just a meat puppet for a fat blob of of electrical pulses basically <laughs> so we're not going to get into that topic but uh <laughs> but you could definitely be said right so let's talk about uh physical movement so there is this incredible stanford study that took uh groups of people and they gave them uh, everyday objects, right? So there was a test that they had to take. And they, these everyday objects, let's say it was a key, okay? And they had to figure out additional uses for that everyday object besides what it was intended for. So a key opens a door, okay? Uh, their criteria was, first of all, it had to be realistic, right? You can't say, this, was, this is exactly the words from the, the woman that hold, held the study. She said... Uh, you know, a key could not be an eyeball because it's just impossible <laughs> to, to make a key an eyeball. But a key could be used to scratch a car. Okay, so that's that's a, a usable tool, right? It, it could physically do that. It physically cannot be an eyeball. Then she said, now what we do with that is, is um, we look for novel ideas. So if I'm one of the participants and I say a key can scratch a car and one of the other participants say a key can scratch a car. Nobody gets points for that. So it's like they, they, there used to be a game, Scategories, right? Scategories, great game. I love that game. If you guys have never played Scategories, get Scategories. It's a wonderful game. Um, but it's the same type of thing, right? You, we have a letter and then there's you have to write something down based on that, that first letter, that word or whatever, uh, based on a specific category. If you and the next person have the same word, nobody gets points. So it has to be a novel idea, right? So if two people say a key can scratch a car, nobody gets a point. But if somebody says, I could use a key to scratch the murderer's name on the floor with my last dying movement, yeah. That's a novel idea as long as nobody else said that, okay? So, uh, so yes, the physical use of the key is scratching something, but it's done in a different way. So that's the creativity side. So this was a study about creativity. So they had these groups. They had three groups. And the first group uh, sat down at a table and took this test and figured out how many different uses they could get from these this common object or whatever. And... Um, they had to sit at the, the table and do it. The second group were on treadmills and they were walking. It was a nice walk. It was not an overly exertion walk. It was just a nice walk. And as things came into their mind, they said them out loud and somebody wrote them down or they recorded them through a, a headset or something like that. But they were able to, so this way they didn't have to write anything. They could focus on not falling off the treadmill. <laughs> so they didn't have to write something while they were walking, but they were moving, they were walking. Right. And, um, and what they found was, on average, the people that sat down 
figured out about 20 novel ideas, creative ideas for these everyday objects. The people on the treadmill doubled that in most cases. Now they ran this test twice, right? So there was the group, there was a group that sat down for the first test and then sat down for the second test. There was a group that sat down for the first test, then was walking on a treadmill for the second test. And then there was a, no, no, I'm sorry. There was a group that sat and sat. There was a group that walked and walked. And then there was a group that walked and sat. Okay. So the folks that sat and sat, so they didn't have any movement. um, The second test basically yielded the same amount of results. There was no improvement, no, no change whatsoever. Um, the group that walked and walked again, the same type of thing yielded about the same amount of results, which again was about twice as many as the stagnant sitting group, the group that walked first and then sat, they actually found a lingering effect. And the, after they've walked the first round, which again yielded a higher result when they sat the second round, it actually yielded a higher result than the group that sat the whole time. So there was a, uh, a lingering effect of that movement. So basically this study comes that shows movement of the body helps creativity. It can spur creativity. All right. So now there's limitations to this. Obviously there, she says, this is one of my favorite lines. She says, you're not going to go out for a walk and come back with the Sistine Chapel you know, painting in your hand and say, ta-da. <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's obviously limitations to this. It, it's what stage of creativity it's, you know, uh, brainstorming is, is really what it is. And I have a feeling that, you know, and I don't know the scientific, I didn't dig into the scientific evidence of this. I, I like the, the, the number side of it and the creative side of it. I didn't dig into the scientific side of it. But I have a feeling that a lot of it has to do with the fact that when you're moving and walking, your blood is pumping and bringing oxygen to parts of your body at a, of a higher rate and you have more oxygenation and you know stuff like that, more blood flow. So that includes your brain. Uh, so you have more oxygen, more blood flow into your brain, which creates uh, more neuroelasticity and you know more connections and, and stuff like that, more pathways and, and everything. So... Um, so she said, you know, Hey, uh, one of the, this is what, what drove me actually on Friday to get out of bed was the next time you need to go into a board meeting or something like that, go take a walk beforehand. And she said that to really truly be effective with this is, um, not like my standard walk where it's just me going out there being in the now walking and trying to not really think of anything, just kind of like just either listen to a podcast or enjoy my surroundings and be in the now or, you know, kind of a walking meditation. But you, you go out there with a, uh, a problem or you go out there with a topic that you want to think about and that's where you do your walk. Now, this doesn't have to be overly exerted. She talked about running and she said, which I agree with, it's funny. <laughs> she said, uh, if I went out there with a topic to try to think about while I was running, the only novel idea I would have would be, you should probably stop running. <laughs> so, uh, but she said, you know, depending on who you are, some people are able to get into that meditative state. And, and if you don't have to think about what you're doing, that's the whole point of it, right? If you can run or jog without thinking about running and jogging, when I when I do my little jogs, my little jogging jogs on Tuesdays and Thursdays, okay, 
I am very focused. It is not a meditative thing whatsoever. It is, especially being new to the whole thing, trying to keep my, I have a tendency to creep my shoulders up. And next thing I know, I look like Big Ed uh, from 90 Day Fiance with no neck. <laughs> I got shoulders up in my ears. So I'm worried about, I'm, I'm trying to keep my shoulders down, trying to keep my posture good, thinking about breathing. Because I don't know why, but as soon as I start jogging, like instantly my brain is like short breath. And I start hyperventilating. I don't get full breath down into like, you know, my, my stomach, my diaphragm does not move whatsoever. So I have to literally think about breathing while I'm running and, and uh, actually found some great techniques about your breathing as you pace, right? So you, you breathe in one, two, three steps, breathe out one, two, three steps and so forth and so on. But it keeps oxygen flowing because otherwise, because that's one of the issues that people have when they run is, is they don't bring enough oxygen in, you know, your blood is moving around and trying to bring oxygen to your muscles and everything else. And without, uh, that oxygen, you have lactate acid buildup and everything else. And that's where you get fatigue and cramps and, and so forth and so on. But if you're breathing and you're bringing enough air in, you know, and enough, uh, CO, you know, carbon out and everything else. And you're, you know, you're fueling your body with that air. It's a very important thing. So that, <laughs> That's what I'm thinking about when I'm running, right? I'm also looking at the next lamppost going, all right, one more lamppost, one more lamppost. Okay, I can get to there, you know? So it's not a meditative state whatsoever. And and hopefully one day it will be. I would love to be able to progress to that. But again, it's like anything. I've been walking for 42 years. No, that's not true. I did not walk when I was one or whatever, as a baby. I've been walking for at least... 39 years let's say okay conservatively we'll say 39 years so i can pretty much no no i can pretty much do that without having to think too much about it okay um i've walked on trails in the woods where i've definitely had to think about it because it's not just normal walking but i'm on a a paved path here so it's not too difficult right it's just normal walking so i don't have to think about that act so my brain is free to do whatever i want it to do and friday again leading up listening to this this study that that i this stanford study prior to that knowing that uh, going out on my walk on Friday, first of all, getting my ass out of bed and doing it was an important milestone for me. Um, because again, it was beating back that enemy mind that said, don't do it. Just, you deserve the day off, which I did not deserve the day off. Uh, but on top of that, going out there with a thought in my head of, I have this meeting. I really have some, some questions that I want to ask about. And I also want to be able to express what I hope I can bring to the table. So I thought about this. I thought about the interview, right? I thought about um, what questions I wanted to ask, and it created other questions. And, and it allowed me to truly prepare for an incredible conversation that I feel could have went on for a long time. We were, I had to, I had a hard stop at an hour, <laughs> but even to that point, uh, we cut it very, very close. Cause we were just having a good, great conversation, getting to know each other and, and talking about the opportunity. And I was getting excited about it and I can see the creativity opportunities and they don't want to stifle that whatsoever. They, they're, that's one of the things they're hoping that I bring to the table with them and everything else. So they're going to foster that, which is amazing. But that movement in the morning, that walk in the morning was incredible. 
Uh, now, as far as non-physical movement, how do we incorporate non-physical movement into spurring creativity? It was another incredible um, study that I, that I read through. It wasn't a study. I don't know what I'd call it. A paper. By, uh, he's actually an economist. Uh, <laughs> uh, now that I think about it, he's not really like a scientist or he's an economist. But he was talking about the concept of slow multitasking. And I, I think this is brilliant. I absolutely love this concept. Um, and it, it truly shows about mental movement, okay? And how it can create uh, in a, or foster creativity in and of yourself. Slow mental, uh, slow multitasking. Now, we live in a world where a lot of us multitask because we have to, because of deadlines, excuse me, because of deadlines and stress and craziness and shit like that. And some of us think about, multi, like, I'm not a big fan of multitasking as far as pressure multitasking goes, right? Uh, but that's not what this is all about. This is working on something, kind of hitting a roadblock and being stumped with it. Instead of sitting there beating yourself up with it, you basically go do something else, okay? So it's the concept of um, walk away, <laughs> right? But don't walk away and be stagnant. Don't walk away and so I'm just going to go sit on the couch. Go walk away and work on something else. By working on something else, you're creating, a, a again, movement within your own brain, right? You're creating movement in your thought process, movement in your, your logic, movement in your creativity on something new. And this is one of, the, one of my favorite questions to ask people. Uh, and this, uh, this is one of the questions that I asked uh, who the, the, the person who's going to be the, my potential uh, team lead here. Uh, I asked, are, are you a, um, and it's, it's a, it's a video game related question. She, she wasn't a big video game person, but she was able to understand what I was coming out with it and, and, uh, took it from a different perspective, which made total sense. So, and I absolutely loved her answer. I said, are you a main quest person? Are you a side quest person? Or are you a main quest person that does side quests that will benefit the main quest in longevity, okay? And what I mean by that is there's a lot of these video games that are like RPG video games, open world video games, where there is a main storyline and a main quest. And then there's a cat with a beam of light on him over in the corner, and you go talk to the cat, and the cat says, go do this for me, and you go do that, right? And you get a side quest that has nothing to do in some cases with the main quest, but it's a side quest. And there's these incredible, you know, expandatory video game worlds, right? And, um, and the person I was talking to, like I said, is not a video game person, right? So she related it to, you know, uh, learning and stuff like that. And and she's very similar to me as far as research type of things. Like they wanted to learn her. She was talking about her and her boyfriend were, were you know, wanted to, were deep in, digging deep recently in history and stuff like that. <clears throat> and they'd get to a, a certain thing and all of a sudden they'd be on a side quest learning about that certain thing, then coming back to their main quest, right? So it was side quests that, benefited their overall knowledge and their overall experience in the main quest. And I said, that's brilliant. That's what I love because that is basically an opportunity to, to show uh nonlinear movement, right? That, that is your slow multitasking. <laughs> There's some people that just do all the side quests because they're completionists and they're just doing side quests to do a side quest. Cause I need to do all the side quests and then I'll do the main quest. And then I've completed everything in the game. That's a different story, 
right? What I'm talking about is, well, I know that this will probably benefit me, right? If I do this side quest, I was, I, I heard that I'd get this, this weapon, or I heard that I'd get this knowledge that would make me uh, stronger for when I battle this, this, this uh, boss down the road or something like that. Or like I said, um, like on a research side of things, well, if I understand this better, it'll contribute to my overall knowledge of where I'm trying to go with this. So it's, it's instead of just saying, well, this is a point A to B, and I have to stay on point A to B, you can branch out and become, you know, as long as you get to B eventually, and if you have a deadline, obviously you stick to that deadline, you know, and you, you build this into that. But it's, it's going off on other things, right? It's creating mental movement to allow creativity in and of yourself. Charles Darwin did this. Great examples um, of this where Charles Darwin, uh, you know, wrote incredible books and studied incredible things. And if you look at the time frame when some of those came out and everything, um, you'd be very, very surprised to see how long certain ones those took. Now, this was the 1900s and deadlines were not such a big deal and stuff like that. Uh, he has an, the, one of his last works that he published was about... Um, vegetable molds and growth because of worms or something like that. Uh, and he had, <laughs> it took him 40 years to write this. It took him 40 years to write this. And he was fascinated with worms, apparently. He had a billiard room full of worms uh, in glass containers and everything else. And he'd go in there and he'd study them. And he'd, um, you know, he would uh, shine lights on them to see if they were reactive. He would uh, put a hot poker next to them to see if they were reactive. He would uh, blow smoke on them, like tobacco smoke, to see what they would do. He would play his bassoon to them, you know, stuff like that. And uh, it's funny because you, you during, again, this took him 40 years to write this book. And what it turned out to be was the worm research was his distraction, right? He would get stuck on something writing something else, trying to revolutionize the, the understanding of something. And he'd get stuck and he would get a block and he could not get past that. He could not figure out how to relate that to something else or whatever. And he would go take a break and he'd go hang out with the worms and look at the worms and study the worms and do things with the worms. And it would spur creativity for him to go back and do what he was doing before and get that done. Same thing with, uh, with other scientists. You'll find this throughout history. Some of the, the most brilliant minds in the world who, again, you, you think about, when you, when you think about creativity, right? Instantly you think about musicians and artists and stuff like that. But scientists are some of the most creative people. Even though there's a lot of analytical stuff involved in their world, to think about, I have a theory that this is this. And then to go test it, there's a creativity there. You know, yes, the testing can be very, very analog and it can be very, very, um, you know, uh, linear and, and number driven and, and everything else. But the creativity to, to question reality in some cases, to question a specific thing, you know, uh, uh, relativity, you know, <laughs> in general, stuff like that. That's the creativity, the brilliance of, of the, that scientist or whatever. And you'll find that a lot of them had multiple things going on at the same time. And they 
took the knowledge they learned from one and they were able to relate it in a creative way and open up their research back into something else that they kind of were stalled on and so forth and so on. So movement it, as a concept for bolstering creativity is not just a physical plane of movement. You can also have these mental planes of movement as well. That's why movement in general, stagnation is the death of creativity, whether it is you are stagnant physically or you are stagnant mentally, which my depression was a mental stagnation. No question about it. That's what it is. It's a, I don't want to do shit. I don't want to think about nothing. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to start nothing. I don't want to learn nothing. I don't want to be nothing, okay? Um, <laughs> to destroy that, to, to create movement in yourself, whether it's physical. Maybe it starts physically. It did for me. Doing these walks, right? Doing these walks in the morning, getting up and doing a, making myself walk in the morning, making myself physically move, creating movement in my physical body every single day has allowed me to create movement mentally as well. And it has allowed me to reawaken and reinvigorate the creativity in my brain and get excited about things again. And obviously, like I said, there's some opportunities that I'm very, very excited about because it's going to continue to grow my creativity opportunities and everything else and get me back into what I uh, have a passion and love for as far as uh, training goes and everything else. And that's just one part of it, though. In the kitchen, being creative there, all of a sudden, you know, uh, sitting there with, with a, a ingredients and making food out of it <laughs> that tastes pretty damn well without a recipe, just throwing things together and say, oh, let's try this, let's try this. It's creativity. It's fun. It's enjoyable. And uh, like I said, I, I have to credit that to movement. And uh, I'm glad that I was able to find some some studies that, that kind of supported that as far as uh, physical movement goes. And and then, uh, again, leaping into that that creative movement as well as or that mental movement as well. I think that's the one thing we control on a daily basis. Right. I, and again, I, years ago, I guess it was it was a years ago. That, yeah, I guess it's years ago at this point in time. I had this stupid thing that popped into my head called movement daily. And it was kind of like it was it was after reading or, or, or getting to know John Joseph's um, lead singer, the Cro-Mags. He's a triathlete. Um, he's a vegan. Uh, absolutely interesting person. Very, very interesting person. Had a horrible life um, as a child and, and overcame a lot of adversity and so forth and so on. But he has a book called PMA. And uh, I've heard about PMA prior to John Joseph, positive mental attitude. And I'm a big fan of the concept of PMA and everything else. And I think it kind of spurred this movement daily spurred from that. And then, you know, I kind of let that go. But movement daily was I have the ability. I, I believe that I have the ability to create movement in my life, whether it's for the good or the bad of my, my, my own well-being every single day. Right, So I can create movement in a forward path or I can create movement in a backward path. But what I never want to do is have stagnation. Right, I never want to be stagnant. I want to have movement, whether it's, it's moving me forward or whether it's a learning experience that may knock me back a little bit. At least it's movement. Okay. And I had this entire concept and I got to find my notebook. I have a notebook that I scribbled a bunch of stuff down and I think I, I like it. Um, 
I, I think it needs some re- refining and stuff like that. But uh, I, I think it's definitely something that I'm going to start standing by uh, as my own personal type of, of PMA, pro- positive mental attitude. Uh, you know, I want to have this, this daily, this movement daily, movement daily, you know, whether it's mental movement, whether it's physical movement, I have the ability to move my needle forward or backwards every single day. What I never want is my needle to stay still. All right. So I'm excited. It's Saturday. I'm going to, I have a cup of coffee that's probably really cold because I haven't taken, I was so excited about talking to you guys. And this walk this morning, I went out this morning and I did not sleep very well last night. I don't know why. I uh, did not sleep very well. I was actually 5.30. I decided to get the hell out of bed. I came downstairs in my house, sat there for about a half hour, put my socks on, put my shoes on and walked out the door and did my walk, did a little jogging this morning just because I felt like it. Just some, It wasn't part of my normal run routine or whatever, but I just uh, kind of trotted down the downhills and the flats a little bit, did not, <laughs> did not really know why, just kind of just started doing it while I was thinking and talking uh, to myself basically in my own head about things and whatnot in today's podcast and uh, and how excited I was getting about talking to you guys about creativity and the opportunities that it has allowed me to uh, uh, to kind of bloom over the past couple of weeks. Uh, and the, the podcast is part of that. This has helped me so much. And I encourage you guys to, to start something like this if you want. Uh, you don't need a bunch of equipment. You don't need a bunch of stuff. Uh, I bought a bunch of stuff because that's what I do. But you don't need it. You can literally, if you have a phone, <laughs> you can use Anchor as a great service. That's what I actually host everything on, and they distribute it out for me. It's completely free. Uh, I don't know. It might not be free if you get big enough. I don't know. But it's free right now for me, <laughs> for the five people that listen to me, and I appreciate you. I really, really do. I really do appreciate you listening to me. Uh, but please feel free to reach out to me. Um, you know, you can reach me at Mike's happiness at gmail.com, uh, or call and leave a voicemail at six, seven, eight, five, Oh, six, zero, three, nine, nine. Again, six, seven, eight, five, Oh, six, zero, three, nine, nine. Or just shoot us, uh, shoot me an email to us, <laughs> multiple people shoot, uh, shoot me an email at Mike's happiness at gmail.com. Hopefully you guys enjoy this. Hopefully you find a way to create movement, whether it's physically or mentally, and get the creative juices flowing again in your life because it's beautiful. It is absolutely wonderful having that creative spark in your world. I love you guys. Thank you for hanging out with me. I'll see you online next time. Have a great rest of your day.